So we're going to turn tonight to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Just the two verses, please. It says, Now the God of peace, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, every time we turn our hearts and our minds to you. You're already there. Thank you, Lord, even whenever our hearts and minds are not on you, you're still faithful and you're already there. We thank you, Lord, that even when we sing your praises, you come and inhabit those praises. We sense you, Lord, and we are aware of you, conscious of you. We thank you, Father, that when the singers get up to sing and the musicians get up to play, there you are in the midst of us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, when we sing, as Wendy and Louise and Billy did, about the blood, about the cross, about the great sacrifice of your only begotten Son. There, Lord, you deem it fit to bless, because he is lifted up, Lord. And we pray, Lord, by the end of this evening, that he will be lifted up anew and afresh again. And, O oh Lord, that Jesus alone would be seen. That this man, Lord, even, Lord, in his own thoughts and Passions and excitement may not, Lord, be seen, but the word of God would be heard, and that I would be hidden behind the cross of Calvary. Lord, we claim the merit. We claim the efficacy of the precious blood of the Lamb upon this congregation. We make mention of the precious blood of Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that he has shed it, that we might be saved that we might be forgiven, that we might be heaven-bound, that we might enter the kingdom of our God and of His Christ, and then, oh, that we would worship You and serve You forever and forever. Oh, God, we pray, ere this night be over, that there be one that has not yet come to saving faith and a saving knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has never yet bowed the knee at the foot of the old rugged cross. Tonight, Lord, we pray, Give them the repentance unto life. May they come winding their way to the cross, being washed by faith in the fountain of blood. And, O oh God, we pray that they would not only see a man upon a cross, nor would they find one in a tomb, but, O oh God, they would realize he is the living Christ, the Son of the living God, who's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us as our great high priest. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Now, last week we did part one of the, the blood of the everlasting covenant. See, the blood of Jesus is inextricably linked with the deity of Jesus. If Jesus be not God, if Jesus be not God veiled, wrapped, clothed in flesh, if he's not the Son of God and the Son of Man, then our sins 
are still upon us and we are still dead in them. Only God could come and deliver us from sin. Only God could come. But you see, God, who is sinless and holy, must come in the likeness, not in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came after the seed of Abraham, and he hung and bled and died in the person of his lovely son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on Calvary's tree, shed his most precious blood. Now that is the blood of the everlasting covenant. Last week we looked at how Christ is not only the great shepherd of the sheep, but how Christ being man of very man and very God of very God, how he died for us, how he is holy and harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Now he's made higher than the heavens because his father raised him on the third day from the very tomb in Jerusalem. Isn't it wonderful that we call this Resurrection Sunday? But isn't it wonderful to know, not just today we mark that Sunday, where the Passover lamb was slain, but on the third day he rose again from the dead. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. Christ is victorious, uh, and Christ, he is exalted this very evening. Every day we must remember that we are before the living God, that he is the ascended, exalted, glorified, risen Savior. Now, last week we looked at so much, we cannot go through it all, but remember, we looked at how Peter tells us he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, that in the mind of God, notice, in the mind of God, the lamb was already slain. It was already done. And God is outside of time, and you and I are inside of time. And the eternal God, it's already happened in God. It's already happened through God. It already happened by God. So Peter tells us that Jesus to come, the man who died in Calvary, he would be the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. That was the lamb in thought. Secondly, we had the lamb in type. The lamb in type. We're told that that the Lord Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world in Revelation 13 and 8. Notice Peter says, before the foundation, in eternity, before there was a sinner on the earth in Adam, there was a Savior in heaven in Christ Jesus. And notice then we have the lamb in type, where we have that God had to slay the animal when Adam sinned in the garden. God had to slay an animal, the perfect kingdom, God slayed an animal to clothe them from their sin. Adam's type was then that he would bring a lamb slain to God. And then whenever uh, Israel were coming out of Egypt, the lamb's blood would be on the doorposts and the door lintels in Egypt. And then, of course, in the tabernacle with Israel in the wilderness, the lamb slain would represent the type of the coming Christ. And then in the temple, when they crossed over Jordan and they settled in Canaan land, there it is still in type in the temple. And God was appeased. God was appeased with it. But when the Lamb of God came in truth, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, John the Baptist proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Notice, in truth he came as it was proclaimed of old, 
And now he stands in the river Jordan being baptized. Jesus died as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb in thought in eternity. The Lamb in type throughout time. And the Lamb in truth upon Calvary's tree. Now you see, if he is not God, now take note, if he is not God, then you and I are not saved. If he is not deity clothed in humanity, then you and I cannot be born again of the Spirit. That he could not pay our price, for only God alone could come and pay the debt that you and I owed of our sins. What is it that you think you can offer God for your sin? Think about this. If it took God to come himself, if it took the Son of God to go to the tree, to Calvary's cross, if it took him to bear our sin in his own body on the tree, and none other could do it, what can you and I offer him for our sin or for the debt of the payment of our transgressions or law-breaking before him? The answer is absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so the man and the woman who are to be saved and forgiven must by faith come in the grace of God and repentance, claiming that Christ and Christ alone is the full, not only atonement, but the full payment and the blood washing for all of their sin. Can I ask you tonight, have you been there? There's many people, and they think that day when they pass this scene of time, and they think when they stand in that day before God, they think, well, God will say, you weren't a bad person, sure, come on, on in. I'm so full of love, come on, on in. Listen, sin had to be paid for. The wages of sin is death. You see, sin had to be paid for. God doesn't brush it under the carpet. He doesn't sweep it away and pretend it doesn't happen. Sin cries out into the face of the holy God of Israel. And so he says the only way they can be saved if I step out of heaven and come down and bear it myself. How futile, how vain, how empty, how ridiculous is it for any man or woman to think they can reach God's kingdom bypassing Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 14 and in verse 6, I am the way. Notice what he says, I am the way. Brothers and sisters, nowadays it is not politically correct to say Jesus is the way. They're wanting us to say Jesus is our way to heaven or our way to the Father. He is a certain way or one of many ways, but Jesus, he is the one the solely and the only way to the Father because he said it. He said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you been to the cross? Have you been washed in the blood? Of the Lamb. Now, there are eight quick points. The first one is the longest, and the other ones will just jot through them. 
eight quick points on the, the blood of Jesus. The blood of the everlasting covenant. Remember we looked at how the temple and the tabernacle before that and the shedding of blood and the book of Hebrews is being written because people were starting to turn back to the temple because they were under pressure from Jews. They were afraid of the Jews and they were saying, look, maybe life would be easier if I just went and, you know, just had an easy life before God and just trusted in the temple work. I'll just trust in the ritual in my church. I'll just trust in my denomination. And I'll see where I get with that. Listen, the whole book of Hebrews was written that you cannot trust in any other thing but through Christ and his precious blood. It doesn't matter where you say, oh, I came from a Catholic background, or I came from a Protestant background. And, you know, it doesn't matter what you say or where you're from. Uh, you must be born again. You must have come by the way of the cross. You must be washed by faith in the blood of the Lamb. You must know Him uh, as your Savior or your loss for all eternity. That's how serious it is. So eight things about the blood of the everlasting covenant. First of all, right, this blood is innocent blood. It is innocent blood. Just let me get a drink. I'm thirsty tonight. My mother-in-law fed me half a cow at tea time. <coughs> Staying at her house for my dinner, and I can hardly breathe with it here. It's that big. I wasn't complaining now. <coughs> I wonder if we can edit that out of the message that goes on <laughs> Matthew chapter 27, we have the blood being declared innocent. By who? By none other than Judas Iscariot. We're told of Judas Iscariot that Satan entered into him. You see, people say, but Judas, was he not saved? No, he was not saved. The Lord says, have I not chosen all of you and one's a devil? <laughs> Judas Iscariot, notice this. He goes to the priest after betraying the Lord Jesus into the hands of the Pharisees at the temple. And he brings the 30 pieces of silver and he casts them into the temple and they take it to throw it out. Listen, Matthew 27 and verse 4. Here is his cry. I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. He didn't say innocent blood. The innocent blood. There's only one innocent blood. He says, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. Remember the chief priests and, and, and the scribes, they take the money and they buy the potter's field with it and it's fulfilling prophecy from the Old Testament. But here's a little thing from, from the Old Testament that, that may just be referring to what has happened here. In Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 18, listen to what it says about bringing things into the house of God. Thou shalt not bring the hire of a whore, nor the price of a dog into the house of the Lord thy God, for any vow. For even both these are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, we all know that the temple prostitutes were the whore, as it is mentioned here. But does that mean about a little dog, you can't buy a dog? No, the, the actual idea here is, is a male prostitute. It's a man who hires himself out, or the word is, who has pimped out. A man who pimps himself out. Don't dare, they say, bring in the hire money for that. 
because it's an abomination unto God. Now, stay with me. The blood of Jesus is innocent blood, and in Hebrews 7 and 26, it tells us Jesus is holy, he's harmless, he's undefiled, he's separate from sinners, he's made higher than the heavens. He's holy, the Scriptures tell us. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22 tells us of Christ, he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3 simply tells us of Jesus, He is pure. In 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, it says, For he hath made him, the Father hath made his Son. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Father made the Son sinful. Not because anything that the holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, son has done, but because your sin, because of my sin. It doesn't matter how good you are, how churchy you are, how religious you are. It matters not to God. He's looking for the blood of the everlasting covenant. He's looking to see whether you've trusted in what he has accomplished on Calvary's cross for you. He's looking for the blood of the Lamb. The Father says, I will take Ken Davidson's sin. And listen, if you knew me from beforehand, I know we had a book out, and that's only a little bit of it, you would say, sure, how could God save and forgive someone like him? Listen, I've thought it myself many a time. How could God ever love someone like him? How could God ever want someone like him? And I don't understand, and I don't know why, but I am grateful he did. Come on, sinners saved by grace. Are you glad you're saved tonight? Are you glad you're washed in the blood? Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. There's no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, notice this. Notice this. The Father made His Son sin, put our sin on Him that we might be righteous in Christ. Isn't that amazing? The only way that you and I can be righteous is be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to be washed in His blood, to know Him as our own Lord and personal Savior. The Father made Him sin, that we might be righteous in Him. In John 14 and verse 30, now listen, I'm bringing you back to that Deuteronomy Scripture. John 14 and verse 30, listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. For the prince of this world cometh. Who's the prince of this world? Satan himself. Satan had entered into Judas. But Jesus says, for the prince of this world cometh, listen, and hath nothing in me. You know what he's saying? He can find no sin in me. He is the impeccable. Son of the living God. What's the difference between Jesus being the spotless, sinless Lamb of God and the impeccable Son of God? I'll tell you, because he had no sin. He was sinless. He was spotless. But to be impeccable was he could not sin because he was Almighty God.
because he was the Almighty in flesh. So, in Deuteronomy 23 and 18, Thou shalt not bring the hire of a whore, nor the price of a dog into the house of the Lord thy God for any vow. For even both these are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Judas Iscariot proclaims the blood of Christ, innocent blood, the innocent blood. He brings the money in. Yes, 30 pieces of silver were weighed for the price of Christ. That's all they thought of him. It sounds much, but really it was the price of a slave. That's all it was. That's what they thought of him at the very most. And he brings it in and he throws it back in and he throws it into the temple. They take it up. They say, this is the price of blood money. We can't have it. You know what they were saying? They're saying, Judas Iscariot, Satan hath entered into you. Listen, Satan was in them too. Jesus says, you are off your father, the devil. And the works of your father you will do, he says to them. This is what they were saying. Judas Iscariot. You've pimped yourself out to the devil. You've pimped yourself out to our cause. I take it with you. We're so pious, we're not allowed that money in the temple. We're not allowed the price of a pimped out man in the temple. You see, the devil came, found nothing in Christ, but he was able to enter into Judas. And he was pimped out by the devil. I'm talking to someone tonight, and you're allowing the devil to have his way with you. And you're not saved. You know you're pimped out by the devil. You're under his authority. You're under his power. If you're not under the power of Christ, and under the authority of Christ, and under the blood of Christ, you're pimped out to the devil. It's an abomination of the soul unto the Lord. I trust tonight you'll come and say, Lord, I'm not throwing 30 pieces of silver to betray you into some church or some temple. I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm throwing myself at the foot of the cross. I'm throwing myself at your blessed feet, Lord, that thy blood, which was flowing from Emmanuel's veins, would come and wash over me and save me for time and eternity. Cleanse me and forgive me. So the blood... Is innocent blood, Judas Iscariot cried, I have betrayed thee, innocent blood. Quickly, secondly, the blood of Jesus, the blood of the everlasting covenant is precious blood. It is precious blood. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, if you'd like to turn with me, and verse 1, pardon me, chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold after your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers. Let me stop there. Listen to what he's saying. Peter's saying to those who have been saved. He's saying to, to those who were the strangers scattered abroad. He's saying to all who have come under the sound of the word. That is the Israelites. And he's saying to them, he says, listen, you're not saved by the silver or the gold in the temple. You're not saved by your alms and your gifts and your giving. You're not saved by your tradition because your father and your mother went to the temple, so now you're a saved man and you're going to enter God's heaven and kingdom. You're not saved because of anything you've done or they've done or anyone else can do. He says you're not saved by your vain conversation or your empty lifestyle before God. 
Here I am, Almighty God. Here I am, Heavenly Father. I'm I'm coming. I know I haven't trusted in Jesus, but I want to get into heaven. (laughs) Oh, friend, I have something to tell you. He says, your life has been vain and wasted. I went to my church and went to my denomination and I trusted. You know what? I was even confirmed one time. I even confirmed. My name is on the church roll and I put a wee envelope every now and again into the offering. Vain lifestyles. Vain conversation. You're not redeemed. Redeeming is to buy back. How are we bought back? For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Listen, verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb without blemish, without spot, who was verily foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Notice here what Peter is saying. Peter is saying you're only redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Peter is saying it's not in your temple, it's not in your church, it's not in your works. Peter is saying you're only redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You're only redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and by nothing else. The blood of Jesus, he calls it precious blood. You're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Notice Peter recognizes the innocence of the blood too. As a lamb of without blemish and without spot, it's innocent. So he calls it precious blood, the precious blood of Christ. Now the word precious is the word timios. And timios has a twofold meaning. It means, first of all, costly in the sense of value. In other words, it's, it's, only, it's the only blood of its kind. If you go to the, the doctors and there's something wrong with you, most of the times they'll say, well, take a wee blood test, don't they? Your blood tells of the disease in your body or the illness that's there. The blood can tell if you've had a heart murmur or a heart attack. The blood can tell an awful lot of things about a man and woman. You see, life is in the blood. And listen, if, if you get cut and you bleed out, you're going to what? You're going to die. Life is in the blood. But when Christ's blood was shed, it was so pure. It was so holy. The blood of Jesus, there is no disease in it. You see, disease and sickness comes from the sin of fallen man. But Christ had no sin. His blood was pure. His blood was precious blood. Peter says the blood of Christ. You see, it's precious because there's no other blood like it. There's no other blood can be shed. And so they're sacrificing lambs and goats and heifers and and pigeons and all these sort of things and turtle doves and there's no blood like the blood of Jesus. Do you know why? Simple because Acts 20 and verse 28 tells us it's the blood of God. It says, feed the church of God which he hath purchased. God has purchased. Feed the church of God which he hath purchased. Listen, with his own blood. With his own blood. Secondly, it was costly in the sense that it is highly esteemed and held in honor. For example, the blood of Jesus is essentially 
and intrinsically precious and costly because it's the only blood acceptable to the Father. I need you to get this now. I need you to grasp hold of it. The blood of Jesus is essentially and intrinsically precious and costly because it's the only blood acceptable to the Father. It doesn't matter if there were a thousand prophets slain. It doesn't matter if there were a thousand, one hundred thousand sheep and lambs and goats slain. It doesn't matter and it doesn't count if there were so many spiritual gurus in all of this planet's history that were slain for sin. Not one of them, not one of them would be acceptable with the Father. But when Christ went to Calvary's tree and when he shed his blood and died, it's the only blood in all of time that is fully acceptable with the Father. It's precious. And you're going to come, some are going to come and say, I'm going to enter heaven just because I'm a good person. Yet the Lord says all our works are as filthy rags before him. The blood is innocent blood. Secondly, the blood is precious blood. Thirdly, the blood of the everlasting covenant is redeeming blood. Ephesians 1 and verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption. In Christ we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Notice, in whom we have redemption through his blood, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redemption means to buy back. To buy back. Christ's blood buys you back. Listen, what shall it profit a man, a woman? What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world. Think about it. The whole world. The world that they're fighting over for all the riches. The world that the international banking corporations are fighting over to be able to increase their wealth. The oil in the ground and the diamonds and the precious stones. Think about it. The bonds that are lying in banks and all the things we don't even know about. The riches that every man and every woman has. What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's nothing could buy you. Nothing could afford you. Your soul is so precious that God wouldn't accept everything this world affords for you. Now you need to think about this. Your soul is so precious, God wouldn't accept the whole world for you. But what he said is, I'll give my son. That's all I'm going to accept. And he will redeem my people. He will buy them back. Redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Bless his holy name. We're told we have the forgiveness of sin through his blood. According to the riches. The word according is katan. It means the dominance. God's dominating grace. 
God's dominating grace comes upon the sinner. Irresistible grace comes and works in the life and the heart of the man and the woman who knows not Christ, who are dead toward him. Irresistible grace awakens the sinner to their need of a Savior and points them to Christ. And oh, we see him. We see him. The beautiful Lamb of God bearing our sin away in his own body on the tree. And we claim him as our own. We're forgiven. And grace dominates my life. Grace dominates my heart. And in my failures, and in my falls, and in my feelings, and with all my faults, Grace, tis a charming sound, harmonious to the ear. Grace dominates, and grace keeps me. Grace keeps you all the days of your life till we enter there, to the kingdom of heaven. Listen to Revelation 5 and verse 9 of the redeemed. They sing a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Notice, bought us back by your blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So, fourthly, we have then reconciling blood. That was redeeming blood. Now, fourthly, we have reconciling blood. See, our sins and our iniquities have separated between us and God. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 tells us, but this, look, look, look at what it says in Ephesians 2 and verse 13. Ephesians 2, 13 says, But now in Christ, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We're all like sheep going astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're all like sheep lost. We're walking astray. And yet the blood of Christ being shed for us 2,000 years ago, we're made nigh. We're drawn close to God. It's reconciling blood. Listen to Colossians 1 and 20. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. Now, reconciling all things through the blood, it'll be difficult. Because there's some people have taken that and said, see, everything, even the devil himself is going to be saved. <laughs> The Bible doesn't say that. There is a teaching that says that. I know some people believe that. That eventually we will go through some sort of purgatory or lie. Now that's a lie. All who in Christ are reconciled. Listen. He, he's reconciling heaven and earth. He is the ladder from heaven to earth. He reconciles Adam's race back to God. He reconciles the house of Israel and the house of Judah who separated and in Christ, all who are in Christ now from this. And he reconciles you and I who are the enemies of God not knowing him through the blood of his cross to himself. Innocent blood, Precious blood, redeeming blood, reconciling blood, justifying blood. 
justifying blood. Through the blood of Christ, you are just as if I had never sinned. Justified. I'm just as if I had never sinned. Notice Romans 5 and 9 says, much more than being now justified by his blood. Now, Christian, I want you to hear this. Surprises you many Christians don't know this. Surprises you many Christians don't understand this. Many Christians fall and fail and, and find it too hard because they don't realize the power of the blood. Now justified. What does it say? Being when? Oh, come on, Christian. Being now justified. When are you justified? Now. Before God, under the blood, you are now justified. You're justified in your seat. You're justified before the Father because He recognizes the blood of the Lamb and the power of that blood. It's not I'm going to see how I get on when I get there. I'm not going to see how I get on whenever I stand before Jesus. It's not going to be, well, I'm going to do my best and I'm still trusting in the cross. It is Christ and His blood and there is none else and none other. We are now justified by His blood and we shall be saved. What? I'm going to get the children up here in a second. We shall be saved. What? From? From wrath. Saved from? Who else had a steak tonight? Today. You can't. We shall be saved from? Wrath. Wrath. How? His blood. His blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Through his blood. You, if you're saved, sitting in your seat, when the Father looks at you, listen, warts and all. You know, you may turn around and you may say, but sure, I've failed him and I've let him down. And listen, we all feel him. Every single one of us. We all let him down. But when he looks at us and his son, and you know I believe in living right now, so don't take me up wrong on that. But when he looks at me and he looks at you and he sees us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he sees us covered in the blood, he sees us just as if we had never sinned. The power of the blood of the Lamb. It's like Oliver Cromwell when they were painting him. And they were doing the, the big painting of him that you can see over in London. And Oliver Cromwell, well, he had a few big moly warts on his face. And they were going to sort of try and do the old touch-up, the brush out. What do you call that? You call it now. It's airbrushing. Well, that was paintbrushing then. They were going to try and do the old paintbrushing to cut his warts out. And Oliver Cromwell says, no, paint me warts and all. That's where the saying comes from. Paint me warts and all. So he's got the big warts and all. And listen... When God looks at you, he does, doesn't see your warts and all. He sees the blood of Jesus. He sees you perfect. We are justified by his blood. We are declared not 
guilty, in other words. Not guilty. Sixthly, and this is a short one, it's overcoming blood. Revelation 12 and 11, they overcame him. Is that right? They overcame who? Who? The devil, Satan. They overcame the one who entered into Judas Iscariot, the one who came to seek the Lord Jesus to find something in him and found nothing. They overcame him, the one who comes to you to point out your sin when you're not saved. The one who comes to accuse the brethren, but the father looks and says, I don't see any sin. All I see is the blood of my son. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. <laughs> oh, how are you overcoming the devil today? Here's one if you're not saved. How are you going to overcome the devil? You're having a hope. You're under his authority. You're being pimped out by him. You're under his command and demand. You're serving the devil, even if you're the best of people. You see, you're under his dominion. But when you come under the blood, you overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. Christian, the devil's attacking you. How do you overcome him? By the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony, they love not their lives unto the death. Listen, see whenever the devil comes to you, Christian, and starts whispering in your ear. See when he comes and starts telling you that you're never going to make it and you're no good and you're going to fall away and he tells you God doesn't love you and how could you be saved somebody like you? Catch yourself on. See when he starts to tell you all these things and you're not going to do and all this is a, just get up and say, you know what, devil, here's something I want to tell you. I want to tell you about the time I came to the cross of Calvary. I want to tell you when I've seen my Savior bleeding and dying. Somebody says you're a failure and you've let the Lord down, he'll never forgive you and he'll stop loving you. He's telling you lies. I want you to tell him your testimony. I want to tell you where I was, where Christ took me from, how he rescued me, how he's kept me, how he's blessed me. Oh, how he carries me every day. How I'm dominated by his grace because I'm under the blood. The word of their testimony and love not your life under the death. Give it all to Christ. Seventh, the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the everlasting covenant is cleansing blood. Cleansing blood. 1 John 1 and 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from how many sins? Ah, every sin. Every rotten, dirty, despicable, depraved sin that you were living in. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, God's Son, cleanses you from it all. You are clean and cleansed in the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9 and 22 tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Eighth and lastly, sanctifying blood. It's sanctifying blood. Hebrews 9, verses 13 and 14. Listen to what it says about the temple. For the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer and the sprinkling of the, un of the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. Verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, 
purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, in chapter 9, verse 13, the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer and the sprinkling of the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. You see, what they had to do was before they could even come to the temple to give their offering, if they touched something that was dead, they were unclean. They were unclean. They couldn't even come to God. They couldn't offer even a sacrifice to God. You're already put away. You're out of the game. That's you over. You may come back next year. So what they did was they came and they sacrificed for their sin from them sinning of the flesh of what they already were coming to sacrifice for. They put more on the people that the people had to try and do more to try and cover their sin. And it ended up that they found it was laborious and they couldn't keep it. It was for the sanctifying or the setting apart for their flesh. So the writer of the Hebrews says this, if it took that through Levitical law and ritual to cleanse of flesh to make him who was religiously unacceptable now acceptable, how much more? I notice the term here. How much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Here's what he's saying. This is not something like a ritual to cleanse yourself, a conscience easier to make yourself feel good. I made it to church on Sunday morning. And we went through such and such a catechism or a ritual. He's not saying that. He's saying the blood that Jesus shed was already from before the foundation of the world through the eternal spirit. He says that this was the price for your cleansing. In other words, Calvary was not plan B. There only was one, plan A, and that was the blood of Christ. So you'll be glad to know I'm finished, except for this wee bit. Isaac Watts wrote, Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away. A sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. The last verse, verse 5 says this. Believing we rejoice to see the curse remove. We bless the lamb with cheerful voice and sing his bleeding love. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is the blood of of the everlasting covenant. Why is it the everlasting covenant? We looked at it last week. Because all those covenants, Abrahamic covenant, oh yes, they were in place because he's made his children. We're sitting here as the sand of the seashore and the stars of heaven and the dust of the earth and so that. But this is for the salvation of the soul. This is for eternity to enter into his kingdom. We're redeemed and we love to proclaim it.